You know, I just want to just say a moment to just take a moment to just thank you for joining us this season to celebrate uh, the birth of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Isn't it um, an amazing thing that we celebrate Jesus taking on humanity? What an amazing event. You know, I was thinking about this. You know, you and I, we are not storybook characters, right? Like we're real people. We live in a real world. We have struggles, difficulties, trials. We live in a fallen world. And as we approach things in life, as we approach Christmas, as we approach relationships, as we approach handing a card to our neighbors, like we're not like cartoon characters doing these things. We are real people. I remember a couple years ago, I gave one of my neighbors one of those invitation cards to come to church. And uh, he got super offended. He was like totally angry with me. I don't go to church. And he was just so mad that I had given him the card. And I just looked at him and I said, well, you know, I actually invited all the neighbors because I care about all the neighbors and I care about you just like I do the other neighbors. And I just didn't want to leave you out. And all of a sudden, like his tone, (laughs) like totally changed. And um, so, hey, um, as we face life, Um, We're real people. We face real situations. And one of the things that I love about the Bible is that the Bible is a book that we read, and it's, it's a divinely inspired book. God has recorded in history all the things that you and I need to see and all the things that we need to know. And the Bible teaches us intellectually. It teaches us things about God. But it doesn't just teach us intellectually. It actually tells stories. Uh, The Bible is a book of stories about real people interacting with God, and these are real people that have real feelings, real emotions. They go through things, and these stories are told so that you and I will learn how we should live life in the same ways that other real people lived life. You and I live life. And as we look at those stories, we understand about ourselves. We learn about ourselves from reading what the Bible says. We also learn about God. And it's it's challenging because often we can read the Bible and we read stories about the birth of Christ, and we're going to be reading that in Luke chapter uh, 1 and 2 today. We're going to read some stories about people, and it can be easy for us to forget that these are real people, and they went through these stories as they're in real time. And sometimes we'll read like these big stories, like we'll read about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown into the furnace. And we kind of, in like uh, in moments, we get to the end of the story and see God doing these amazing things. But it's really important that we actually put ourselves in the place of the people that these stories are about and to realize Man, they were afraid. They were facing a furnace. They were facing these really powerful things, and they didn't actually know how the story was going to end. And our story today, we're going to be talking about Mary, and we're going to be talking about the announcement that she's going to give birth, and we're going to be talking about the historical events of Jesus taking on flesh. One of the things that it is important for us to know is like we read this in like five minutes, we read this whole story but they were actually living through this, and they didn't know what was going to happen as they were going through it. And I think when we understand that about the Bible, it helps um, what God tells us be so powerful. Now, one of the really awesome things is I pray that God would help me as I read through this passage with you, but if you're a believer, you actually have the Holy Spirit in you, 
God's word is powerful. And so my prayer for us this morning is that as we read these words, that God would work in your heart, that these stories that we've in a sense read so many times, that we won't read them like some storybook, but we'll read them as an account of real life and that we will be encouraged and inspired the way that God intends us to. So this is a story we looked in Genesis chapter 3 um, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. So Adam and Eve, by the way, real people going through a real situation, really tempted by Satan in the garden through a snake. They end up sinning, causing the fall of mankind. And one of the things that is so amazing is that as God goes through that interaction, the first thing he does is he curses Satan. And then before he even gets to Adam and even the consequences of their sin, he curses Satan and promises that a Messiah is going to come. Like that really happened. God really promised it in that way. And then we get to learn as we read this story and think about history, we get to see how that actually happened. Last week, we looked at the Gospel of John, which theologically fills in what happened with Jesus. He was God who took on flesh, who dwelt among us. And when Jesus was here on earth, people saw Jesus as a person, but they saw God's glory because He was God in the flesh. And so we learned theologically what happened. You know, I just think about how amazing and beautiful the birth of babies are. So if there's any parents in here, man, you know what that is like. I just, when I think about my favorite experiences, uh, one of my, my favorite experiences are actually the birth of my kids. I'm seeing my kids be born. I loved holding these little babies and kissing them. And, and uh, for some of my kids, I had this beard. And so Michelle would always say, you know, don't give the kids a rash, you know. But it was just so hard not to just kiss and snuggle these kids. And I just loved these little kids. And I would just look at them and think about, you know, I, I can't wait till they can talk, until they can communicate. And, and, you know, I just thought about, you know, what their life was going to be like and wanting to be involved in that. And I think about the fact that Jesus was born, the God of the universe, holding the world together, but he was a little baby that was held, that needed to be fed. And so we understand from John and from all the Bible, the theology behind the birth of Jesus, but this is the actual story of Jesus taking on human flesh. And the humanity of Jesus is significant because Adam caused the fall of the human race. And so for Jesus to come and to live and die as a sacrifice for our sins and to reverse the curse of the fall, he needed to be a person. A human being caused the fall of the human race. And it was a human being that has redeemed us. But it wasn't just a human being. It was God he, he is God in the flesh. You know, the other thing that, for us to think about is that um, not only did Jesus take on humanity, not only is he God in the flesh, but one of the things that Hebrews tells us about Jesus, um, about Jesus taking on flesh, and this is something that we should think about, is Jesus lived life, a human life. And because of that, he is especially... Um, considerate, caring, and compassionate toward us. Sometimes we can view God as far off and distant, but Jesus living as a human 
He understands us and He loves us and He loves you. And this is what Hebrews says, um, Hebrews 2.16. It says, For surely it is not angels that He helps, but He helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, He had to be made like His brothers in every respect so that He might become a, a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of mankind. That's for Him to take care of our sin. That is why Jesus came. You know, it goes on in verse 18, which is not on the screen. It says, For because He Himself has suffered when He was tempted, He is able to help those who are being tempted. And Jesus, He faced temptation like you and I do. Hebrews 4.15 goes on and it says, We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, that's Jesus. And, and this birth, it's such a cute Christmas story. But this was Jesus taking on humanity that allows Him to, to love us, to be compassionate, um, to, to rescue us. And those are things that we need to think about as we read this story um, Luke talks about Jesus as a man. That's the emphasis of the gospel of Luke is to present the humanity of Jesus. But one of the things that you find out is that it doesn't matter if the Bible's presenting Jesus as the king, like he does in Matthew, or as a servant, like he does in Mark, or as God in the book of John, or as a human in the book of Luke. All the gospels teach that Jesus was human, that he was God, that he was servant, like all those things, the, the truths in those gospels are in every gospel. They're all over the New Testament. It's just that in the gospels, different elements are emphasized. So what we're going to see this, this morning is three important things. First, that the birth of Jesus was predicted. It was predicted in the Old Testament, but it was actually predicted right before it happened. And so it was predicted and it was surrounded by miracles, the second thing that we're going to see this morning is that it was confirmed by the historical details of the birth of Jesus. What actually happened in history, it not only affirmed what the angels said was going to happen, but it also fulfilled all of the Old, Old Testament prophecies about who the Messiah would be. And the third thing that we're going to see this morning is that this birth of Jesus was proclaimed by faithful beings. Um, Jesus was proclaimed, and that's kind of the theme of our Christmas season, is that not only do we need to personally discover Jesus, but we need to be proclaiming to everybody who Jesus is. So let's jump in here. Uh, let's consider the first thing, that the birth of Jesus was predicted and surrounded by miracles. And uh, so let's just consider this. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 5, we'll start reading there. It says, In the days of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he and his wife were daughters of Aaron. And he, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly 
in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. And what we're going to find out about is that this is a prediction. What's going to happen is the prediction of John the Baptist. But that fits into announcing who Jesus is, because John the Baptist was the forerunner. In the Old Testament, there was going to be a forerunner who would prepare the way of Jesus. And so even the forerunner to the birth of Jesus, it's a miraculous birth. One of the things we find out is that Elizabeth is barren. These are two old righteous people, and she's barren. She can't have kids. And by the way, this is just such a cool, fun story. But you know what? For her whole life, being barren was not a cool, fun story. That was, she was grieved. She was brokenhearted. And here these, these are old, righteous people that have been praying, I want to have a baby. And one of the things that happens is that the angel Gabriel comes and we find out in this story that he announces that Elizabeth is going to have a baby. And so that's a miraculous birth. This old lady is going to have a kid. And we've seen that in the Old Testament, which Sarah, we go back to all the barren people who gave birth. And this is going to happen. This is a righteous man. But we find out that he is like you and I sometimes. An angel from God tells him that Elizabeth is going to have a baby. And one of the things we find out in this account is that he doesn't believe the angel. And so when he doesn't believe the angel, he's like, hey, my wife's old. How's this going to happen? The angel says, I'm Gabriel, which by the way, Gabriel means God's warrior, God's hero. It's, it's the word for um, angel, uh, Gabriel. Anyway, it just is talking about how he is God's strong man. So he's this powerful angel who we find out is actually in God's presence. He says, I'm Gabriel. I come from the presence of God. He's like, God has sent me to tell you that you're going to have a baby. I've come from God's presence. I'm not telling you something that's not true. And then he says to him, "Um, just for evidence of this, and because you didn't believe, you're not going to speak until all these things happen. So... um, John the Baptist's dad walks out and he can't talk and everybody knows he's seen a vision. And he actually doesn't speak until John is born and they start debating over what the baby should be named. And then when his mom says his name should be John, which was what God told him to name his son, then he actually is allowed to speak to say, yeah, we're calling the kid John. And you know, it's interesting because when you look at, at all of this, all of that communicates the deity of Jesus. Um, because when they talk about this forerunner, that he is going to be the forerunner of the Most High, that's a name for God. It says in verse 19, the angel said to him, I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent, unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So here's this old, righteous, faithful man who doesn't believe God because what he's told is unbelievable. And then we're going to see this contrast because this angel's going to come give Mary some even more unbelievable things. He's going to tell her some stuff that is, I mean, if it was hard for Zachariah to believe that his wife was going to give birth, Uh, he's about to tell Mary something that's even more unbelievable than that. Verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin 
um, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, that's kind of an interesting and significant thing. This announcement is going to be made to a virgin. What's interesting about that is in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, the Old Testament says that we're going to know who the mother of the, of the Messiah is because she's going to be a virgin. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall, be, and, and he shall call his name Emmanuel. And Emmanuel is just the Hebrew words for God with us. And so that was the promise that this Messiah would be God with us and would be born of a virgin. And, you know, there, there's a difference. So um, Zachariah is like, hey, how, how am I going to know this? This is crazy. For him, it was an expression of unbelief. But Mary, when she talks to the angel, um, she actually asks the question. And she just says, how can this be? since I'm a virgin. And when she says that, she's not doubting. She's just like, how could I be pregnant? And we know that she doesn't doubt. When you read the account, one of the things that's interesting that Zachariah's wife says to Mary when she's talking to her is she said, you're blessed because when the angel gave you a message, you believed. <laughs> it's like she's, she's in a sense contrasting. My husband couldn't speak because he didn't believe the angel you, this young woman, believed. And here was her response. It says in verse 38, And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. It's one of the things that you see about Mary is that Mary was a faithful person who trusted and believed in God. In fact, one of the things that it, it says when it's talking about uh, Elizabeth a conceiving a son. It just says, because nothing is impossible with God. You know, for Mary, she had well-placed faith. She believed and trusted that God could do anything. And she humbly said, okay, God, if this is what you want, I'll do this. And this is a great, cute story. Unless you're a Jewish girl who's not married and pregnant. And you know, it's one of the things that you find out is that in Jesus's life and ministry, that reputation actually followed them and one of the things that, one of the ways they insulted Jesus was to say, you were born out of wedlock. And so that's one of the things that they said about Jesus. And so for Mary to take this on, like that was a pretty big deal for her to humbly submit and say, God, let it be done. And when she talks about, by the way, she's going to talk about her thoughts about Jesus. And you know, it's interesting, Elizabeth says that, that Mary, when she sees Mary, she says, this is the mother of my Lord. Um, Mary, she just says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. That's how, Jesus, that's how Mary talks about Jesus, that he is God and that he's her Savior. By the way, this is in a book that emphasizes the humanity of Jesus. Zechariah, when he talks about John, he says that he is the prophet of the Most High and that his purpose is to give knowledge of salvation to his people for the forgiveness of their sins. That's why Jesus came. That's what's significant about Christmas. Isn't it crazy how at Christmas, 
Sometimes we think about family, we think about gifts, we think about all kinds of things. But what occupies our mind often at Christmas is not the person of Christ, who He is and who we celebrate. Second thing that we see is that this was confirmed by historical details of His birth. So let's look at Luke chapter 2. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And they all went to be registered, each to his own town. Now this is the interesting thing about the Bible. It gives a list of names and people and where they lived and when they lived. And by the way, this is a historical challenge. When we go through and we study all the writings about the New Testament period, everybody's like, well, when was this census? We can't find any writing of it. And who is this person? We've never heard of them. But you know what's interesting about the Bible is that the Bible always presents itself as historical fact. It lists names, places, moms, dads. And it's, it's because it's not a once-upon-a-time kind of story. And by the way, that's true of Matthew and the account of the birth of Jesus. That is also uh, true of the creation of the world. But one of the things that we find out is that there are many times in Scripture where it will make reference to a king, to a location, to a place. And when we study the historical details, there are plenty of occasions where you can't find corroborating evidence. And there are many people who will look at these stories and say, see, the Bible's not true. There's no king that lived in that day and in that time. And people have denied the existence of Nebuchadnezzar from the Old, Old Testament. They've denied the existence of King David. They've denied the existence of the of, of various groups of the Hittite people in the Bible? How could there be this great civilization of Hittites? We have no evidence for it. And you want to know what happens as time goes on? Wow, we did discover this great civilization of the Hittites. And then King David, there was no King David. And then they find King David's name written on a stone. You can go to Israel and find a rock that has King David's name on it. And so there's always critics that try to attack Scripture, but Scripture over and over lists names, dates, places, historical details. And in time, the list of, well, we haven't found that, and we haven't found that, and we haven't found that, that just keeps getting shorter and shorter. And by the way, we haven't found this one yet, but maybe by next year we will have. But this is a historical account. And one of the things you find out is that this is God working out details. You know, for Jesus, He could not have manufactured that He would be a Nazarene, which Matthew says Jesus would be a Nazarene. I think the emphasis of that is that He would be disrespected and disregarded. And that's why He came from Nazareth. Because, you know, the Pharisees even say, what prophet is there that comes from Nazareth? You know, they, they say that about Jesus. But Jesus was to be born in Bethlehem. And so it's through these details that Jesus had no control over that God is pointing and saying, no, this is the Messiah. This is God who took on flesh, who came to die for mankind. Look at verse 4. Joseph went up to Galilee from the town of Nazareth to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was from the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, 
his betrothed who was with child. By the way, the Messiah was going to be born where? In Bethlehem. And so here God takes people from Nazareth, but through the logistical details of their life, He moves them to Bethlehem. One of the things that you should think about in your life is that the same God who can not only make predictions, God didn't just look at the world and say, hmm, I wonder what's going to happen. Through my foreknowledge, I will tell everybody what's going to happen. By the way, God does have foreknowledge. But one of the things about the Bible is that it is very clear that God doesn't just know the future. God brings about the future. He is actively involved. And by the way, God is not just looking down at you knowing what your life will be like. God is bringing about the various details of your life. This is one of the things I love about the book of Genesis, which we'll get to, and it's one of the things I love about this story, is that God is always working. And for Joseph and Mary, they're going through a hard time. Joseph would never have traveled 112 miles with the woman who was about to give birth. He didn't want to do that. He had to do that. And I'm sure he didn't get Mary and load her onto this donkey, this pregnant lady, and say, let's take a 112-mile trip. And, and we read this story, oh, how cute. Went from Nazareth to Bethlehem where Jesus was going to be born. No, for, for Joseph, like I would have been traumatized when Michelle was about to give birth to stick her on a donkey and just go traveling across the land. But, but that's how this, this stuff all worked out in real time in their life. And they didn't necessarily know how all the details were going to work out. Just like you and I don't know how all the details of our life are going to work out. But just like um, John the Baptist's dad <laughs> kind of questioned, didn't believe what God said, Sometimes you and I, as we think about things that the Bible says, as we think about the logistics and circumstances of our life, we can struggle to trust God. But this is one of those stories that we should be like Mary, who she didn't understand. She was confused about some of it, but she believed God. And you and I, as we approach life, are supposed to be like Mary and even though we don't maybe understand all the details, we're supposed to believe and trust God. And so uh, it goes on. It's Micah 5, 2 tells us, But you, O Bethlehem, are too little to be among the clans of Judah, for you shall come forth from, from, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. So, the, the one who comes forth has eternally existed, Luke 6, 2, 6. While they were there, the time came for him, her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. You know, I think about giving birth. You know, in, the, in Egypt, there were midwives to help um, give birth. Here you got Mary and Joseph giving birth themselves, um, by themselves. And that was a significant thing. Let's, let's consider this third thing, and that's the proclamation that happens. And by the way, as we think about this, the angels proclaim, the shepherds proclaim, Simeon proclaims, Anna proclaims, and guess what? You and I are supposed to be people who proclaim. Let's read this. Luke 2.8, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field 
keeping watch over the flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. You know, people are always scared when they see angels. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. You know, Jesus was a Jewish Messiah, right? He was a Jew. He came to the Jewish nation for the Jewish nation. But in all the speaking about Jesus and this Messiah who would come, Genesis 3.15 promises a Messiah before there was a Jewish nation. So Jesus always came for the whole world. Yes, He came for the Jews. Yes, He was a Jew. But He didn't just come for the Jews. He came for the whole world. For unto you this day... For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He's well pleased. So that's the thing about Jesus, and so many people miss this. The purpose of the birth of Jesus, the purpose of life, the purpose of the world is God's glory. And yes, human beings are blessed and human beings are benefited, but the purpose of life is not you and me. The purpose of life is God's glory. I was reading a a Christmas story um, or a story about creation recently, and one of the things that it says in the story is that God was in heaven and God was lonely. So he decided to make people so he wouldn't be alone in the universe. Did you know that God did not create the universe? God did not create people because he was lonely. Um, God had perfect relationships, was perfectly satisfied within the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Perfect fellowship. People were not needed because of a deficit in God. God created the world and He created people for His own glory. And that includes the redemption of mankind. Jesus coming and dying for people's sins, first and foremost, is about God's glory. I was thinking about um, the New Testament passages that talk about Jesus' coming. And one of the things that it says is that, you know, when we see salvation and God chooses us and He brings us to salvation for His glory, to the praise of His grace, you know, one day you and I are going to be in heaven and we're not going to say, I'm the pinnacle of the universe. I am so wonderful. God doesn't make junk. God loved me so much He came to the world because I'm the most important thing in the universe. That's the way a lot of people approach their Christian life. And you can always tell when that's true. Have you ever met somebody who when they face a personal tragedy, they get mad and they say, God, why did this happen to me? Why are you letting that happen to me? Everybody who gets upset at the negative things that happen in their life are people who don't understand their place in the universe. In the New Testament, when the apostles were beaten and abused and thrown in prison, how did they respond to the tragedy, the difficulty, the trials in their life, they would walk out of prison rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. 
See, we have a Christianity that has erased the priority of God and elevated the priority of human beings, which is why everybody gets mad when things go wrong in their life. Instead of saying, God, I worship you. You are sovereign. You are the point of the universe. And if my suffering brings you glory, then I'm thankful for that. Which, by the way, is how Mary responded. When she's told, you're a virgin and you're going to give birth, she wasn't thinking, oh, how wonderful. That was a proclamation of disgrace and of suffering. And how is she going to answer that question? How is she going to tell people, yeah, I'm a virgin, but I'm pregnant? When was the last time somebody told you that and you said, oh, wonderful? (laughs) You thought, okay, that's ridiculous. But one of the things that the angels say, even at the birth of Christ, they say, this is for God's glory. But God doesn't just do things for His own glory. God does love us. Isn't that what John 3.16 says? For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. And so this proclamation of Jesus, it's for God's glory, but also peace on earth. And then it goes on in verse 15, And the angels went away from them to heaven, and the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. So these shepherds, when they hear about the coming of Jesus, they're not just like, oh, that's interesting, great thanks, and then continue taking care of the sheep. They're like, wait, I want to go see this. And then they go and they tell everybody, it says in verse 18, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. So the shepherds are proclaiming the truth about Jesus. And for you and I who know Jesus, how can we go through the Christmas season and talk about gifts and focus on gifts and focus on food, and focus on fun, and to not just be overjoyed at who the person of Jesus is, wanting to talk to people about who Jesus is. How is it that we do that? That we go to our neighbors, oh, Merry Christmas, here are some cookies. But there's nothing in us that is praying for them, that is looking for opportunities to talk to them about who Jesus is. And these shepherds, man, they go, and, and, and everybody that they're telling the message to is wondering. And then it says in verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. I mean, she's the one who gives birth to Jesus. The angels talk to her. And when the shepherds come and say, this is what the angels told us about your baby, she treasured that, and she pondered it. You know, my encouragement for all of us is that we would read what the Bible says about this, and instead of just reading through it real quick, we would ponder the significance of these things. So the shepherds are going to testify, the angels testify, then the shepherds testify. Let's look at Simeon, verse 21. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angels when he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present, uh, to 
present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what it is said in the law, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. So two things that you get from that. Um, Mary and Joseph, first of all, they were faithful. There were people who knew what God said and they just obeyed it. And so they've been told this amazing stuff. They don't think to themselves, oh, we're special people. We're exceptions to the Bible. No, they just did everything God told them to do. And also from the offering, we find out that they were poor. They weren't rich. God didn't send Jesus to this rich, powerful family. He sent Jesus into the family of a poor couple. And then it says this in verse 25, Now there was a man in Jerusalem, and his name was Simeon, And it says, this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So just something about this man, he is righteous and he is devout, and he is waiting for the arrival of Jesus. You want to know what the whole New Testament tells you and I that we're supposed to be doing? It says that we're supposed to be righteous and devout, waiting for the second coming of Jesus. And in a day when nobody was paying attention, when nobody was waiting for Jesus, this was a righteous, devout man. And one of the things I would think about and that you should think about is what kind of a life, how powerful is a life that is righteous and devout? And one of the things I would ask is, do your family members... And do your neighbors look at you and think to themselves, these people are righteous, they're devout, they have a reverence, devout by the way, having a reverence. Do you live your life with a reverence for God? Do people look at you and go, that is a person whose heart is overcome by a desire to please God. They're faithful, they're righteous, they're devout. Now, here's the thing about Simeon. He's an old man. God's saying, I'm like, he's close to death. God's saying to him, hey, you've been waiting, you've been anticipating, you've been looking for the coming of the Messiah. You're not going to die until he comes. And so he's waiting, and God's given him this promise. And then it says that this has been revealed to him, And it says, he came, in verse 27, he came in the Spirit to the temple, and when the parents brought in the child to do to him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms, and he blessed God, and he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. My eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people. Okay, this is a Jewish priest. And he says, in all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. So here you have Moses, or you have Joseph and Mary. Man, the angel speaks to them. They're amazed by that. The, the uh, shepherds come and talk to them. They're amazed by that. Then they go into the temple just obeying God. And here's another person, a priest, that has been told that he's not going to die before he sees the Messiah. And as soon as he sees Jesus, he knows this is the Messiah. And then you have Anna. Um, Anna, let's, let's listen about Anna. It says, And there was a prophetess, Anna, 
the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, and she was advanced in years. Again, an old lady, lived her whole life, a faithful life, we'll see, having lived her life with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. So I think what that's saying is that she was a virgin, so she was faithful before she got married. Then she got married, and she lived with her husband for seven years, and then as a widow until she was 84. And she did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. So she goes to the temple after her husband dies, and now she's 84 years old. And it just says that she worships, she fasts, and she prays. Like you see that spiritual devoutness, that love for God that, that, that described her life until she's an old lady. Um, man, when you think about the testimony, who would believe an angel coming from the presence of God? Like, I'd believe them. And then these shepherds, they come. And it says, when they shared, people believed them. And then you have, you have Simeon, this righteous, faithful man, and people believe him. And then you have Anna, this lady that her life just communicated her love for the Lord. And it says that she's praying night and day. By the way, that doesn't mean she prayed all night and all day. It just means that prayer and worship and fasting was so much a part of her life that it would happen in the night, it would happen in the day. It was just like it was always true of her life. And coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. One of the things we find out is all the spiritual leaders miss um, the, the fact that Jesus is coming. We'll learn about this next week, that Matthew's going to tell us that there's people from a foreign country that were waiting for Jesus that came to see Him. And when they're coming through town, Herod has to get the religious leaders and say, hey, where's the Messiah going to be born? It's like people from another country figured out Jesus was coming. And the religious leaders were missing it. But what this tells you is that there were faithful people in Israel that were waiting for the advent of the Messiah. And she finds those faithful people, and she is speaking of Him to all of them. And when they had performed everything according to the law, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong and filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. You know, that's all we have of the infancy of Jesus. That's it. When you read Luke, the next verse goes on to talk to, about Jesus as a teenager. This is the story, the real-life story of Jesus taking on humanity. And these, 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 all these characters, all they, these people, they were real people living in real time. And when they saw who Jesus was, they were living devout lives. They had a desire to communicate. They shared with everybody because Jesus was significant in their life. For you and I who are believers, man, we should proclaim who Jesus is. We should dwell and ponder on the fact that Jesus is the God of the universe who created everything, who took on humanity, who lived a perfect life, who died on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. And this all-powerful God that we worship lived a human life and has compassion toward us. He understands us understands the struggles that we face. These difficulties that you go through in your life that can feel overwhelming. Jesus, the Bible says, was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief.
And this is the God who lived and died for us. And by the way, when we die and when we stand before God and God welcomes us into heaven, it's not going to be because we went to church. It's not going to be because we lived a righteous and devout life. Uh, We're going to be saved and we're going to go into heaven because Jesus lived a perfect life. Because he died as a sacrifice on the cross for our sins. And that when Jesus was dying on the cross, God placed on him the penalty of our sins. And we're going to be saved and we're going to get into heaven because we recognized that we were sinners, that we didn't deserve God's goodness and his favor, but that we believed and trusted in Jesus. And you know that righteous, devout life that Anna lived? And that righteous and that devout life that Simeon lived? And the righteous and the devout life that all the apostles lived? None of them did that because they were trying to be good enough for God. All of them did that because Jesus saved them because in their heart they were spiritually transformed, because in their heart they loved Jesus and they wanted to live their life as an offering for Jesus, because in their heart they genuinely worshiped Jesus, which is why when they suffered, they they worshiped God, they were exalting God with their life, they were saved because of the work of Christ, but that transformation expressed itself in a life of people that just says, God, I love you and I worship you and you're the point of the universe. And so if I suffer and that brings you glory, I'm thankful that I'm counted worthy to suffer. And when you think about that's the way actually all of us should be living. And talking about Jesus should not be something, I I really hope that over this Christmas season, that when you think about who Jesus is to you and what he's done for you, And if your life is really pointed at pleasing the Lord, that you'll just talk to people and that you will share with them the things that they really need to know in their life, that that you will give to them the treasure of Jesus. Not, okay, people are coming over and I, I, I better say something to them and I need to say something to my neighbors and I don't really want to, but that you'll just be relaxed and peaceful, that you'll pray for opportunities and that your personal love for Jesus and your personal understanding of who He is and what He's done and your personal understanding of how great your need is will help you understand how great the need of the people around you is and that you'll just talk to them and that you will trust God to work in their life the way God works in yours. My prayer for you is that you won't miss out on the worship and the joy of Christmas because you're so focused on what you're going to get or what you're going to give. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for this story and what a powerful reminder it is that you always work in the life of real people who live in a fallen world, people just like us. And Lord, the things that Mary and Elizabeth and Zachariah and the shepherds and just the the things that these people faced are not easier than all the things that we face each day. God, help us to be like Mary, that we would have well-placed faith, that we would have an affection for you that controls how we interact with people and what we want in life and how we view life. I pray that this season would be a powerful season for your glory and for your kingdom. 
and for the well-being of mankind in your name. Amen.